Welcome to Mission Matters, celebrating the people and initiatives that embody the Jesuit tradition of St. Louis University. Celebrating what matters in the 200-year-old mission that is SLU. Brought to you from the Office of Mission and Identity. This episode of Mission Matters was recorded on May 22nd. Just three days later, our nation, indeed our world, would watch as a man by the name of George Floyd was murdered by police officers on East 38th Street in Minneapolis, Minnesota. In the days and weeks that have followed, each one of us has had to ask ourselves difficult questions. Will we speak or will we remain silent? Will we act or not? Dr. Martin Luther King once said, cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it politic? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular. But one must take it because it is right. He also said that darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. When we shine a light on that which was previously in darkness, we do not create that which it illuminates. We simply expose it. As these days and weeks continue in our country, in our city, even in our world, may each of us take to heart the words of Dr. King and commit ourselves to be light, to be love, and to do everything we can that every person in our world might be able to breathe freely. So welcome back to Mission Matters. Uh, we are here today with Ness Sandoval, uh, who is an Associate Professor of Sociology and does a ton of work interfacing St. Louis University and our larger St. Louis community, particularly in the Hispanic population. So uh, we're happy to have you here today, Ness, and basically just gonna give you free reign in terms of what you'd like to talk about and what you think people need to hear and maybe even some background as to how you first got connected with this particular type of initiative at SLU. So I think, I think what happened when I got to St. Louis in 2008 was trying to understand how I could translate the work that I was doing at Chicago here at St. Louis University. My motivation to come to St. Louis because it really was, it started in Chicago with Loyola University in Rogers Park. And so uh, I had met a priest there who was actually in the upper administration. He was doing mass at one of the churches and we started talking. And then he's the one that actually planted the seed in my head that said, well, I, I kind of remember the conversation like, I think you would be a really good professor at Loyola. And it never even crossed my mind to be a professor at a Catholic university. It just never, never crossed my mind that this was even an option because he understood the work that I was doing. And then, and I only lived 15 minute, 15 minute walk from Loyola. And so I would go to um, their campus and I would see him. And it was at that point, we knew that we were going to leave Chicago because it was not affordable for us. And I just remember like, well, maybe there are other Catholic universities because it, Loyola wasn't going to be a possibility because there were no options, but he's like, maybe, maybe I can work something out for you. 
I understood the job market and like you, if you're going to go on, you need to go very broad. And so that's when I said, well, let me, let me start looking at Catholic universities because they appear to be more, they have a mission that's more aligned to the type of work that I was doing in Chicago, which was community-based research and helping those who are in disadvantaged areas try to use some research to think about policy, to negotiate with public officials about improving their neighborhoods and, and so forth. So I, I primarily said I had some time because I was at Northwestern. So I said, let me, let me see what's out there before I ran up for tenure at Northwestern because uh, I didn't want to be in a, in a situation where I didn't have a job. And so I, I applied to a lot of Catholic universities and quite a few Jesuit universities. And I kind of remember, it's like, I remember the job at for St. Louis University and I kind of like, oh, that's not, St. Louis is not for me. And so I was, a, I was thinking Fordham, New York, Boston College, Georgetown, right? These were the ones, uh, Regis was one because I'm from Denver originally. So I, I just ignored the St. Louis ad. Who wants to go to St. Louis? <laughs> um, but then it came back like three weeks later, the, the ad came back on my radar screen and I said, like, oh, I'm just gonna, since I'm applying to Catholic universities, I'll just throw it out there. And the chair at that time contacted me back and said, are you gonna be in New York? Let's meet at a conference there. And so I, so I actually met, I actually applied, it's kind of interesting because I applied to Dayton. Uh, and so I had all these, I, I had met with them in New York and I just said, okay, whatever happens, happens. And I had a couple different job offers and we decided at that point that St. Louis was the best option for us because we want, still wanted to live in a big city, uh, but we didn't want to live in a city like Chicago. And we kind of realized like, even if Loyola was going to be a possibility, it still didn't solve our problem we had as a family. And that is affordability. We didn't, my, at that time, the, motiv the motivation to leave Chicago, you know, I enjoyed Northwestern, but the, we couldn't afford it. My wife was no longer going to work. She wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And we couldn't live in Chicago on, on a faculty salary. We got to St. Louis. We moved in the Great Recession of 2008. And so I came a year before they did, actually. So things worked out. So when I got to St. Louis, I'm like, I was doing this work in Chicago in the neighborhoods there that was being funded by the, um, one of the museums. They were giving me money to do research with neighborhoods. I said, this is what I want to do when I get to St. Louis. And I happened to run into some colleagues and friends that were working with Catholic charities with immigrants. Within a couple of months, I was already, I'd already transitioned to doing work on the South Side, which was an, a satellite of Catholic charities at that point, uh, on immigrants. How do you do, provide services for immigrants? And so that's, that's how the transition worked. And then what, what emerged after that is, how do we connect this to SLU at this time? So SLU had the mission and I, my chair was like, whatever you need to do to develop your, your research agenda, and the archdiocese at this time kind of understood that it needed a greater outreach to the Hispanic community because it was relying a lot on the university, uh, mm -hmm. especially the Jesuit community to provide the sacraments such as confession and uh, masses to the Hispanic community. They were very happy to do it, but the archdiocese was not prepared in terms of preparing seminarians to meet that need. Right? Right. It, it really relied on SLU to do it. 
but what happened because I, I got into be on the board of Southside, the archdiocese said they wanted to do an assessment of the Hispanic Catholic community in St. Louis. And they said, well, you know, there's a professor that just got here at SLU, maybe he'll agree to do it. And so they said, this would be the perfect project to connect wow. to um, the archdiocese. At least in yes. this, I'm, I'm sure that there was something already happening in other elements, but I know for a fact um, with the Hispanic community, there was no, there was no dialogue happening with wow. SLU and the archdiocese at all. I became that link. So you were the pioneer, really, for that those initial conversations. Yeah, and I would probably say it's it was probably the largest assessment of the Catholic, the Hispanic Catholic Church. I think one of the largest ones in the country, because we wow. essentially surveyed every church that offered a Spanish mass, and and we had great, like I said, the, the priests were like instead of the homily, like you're going to do the survey. So we had a oh. captive audience <laughs> and we ended up with over a thousand people completing the survey, a thousand Hispanic immigrants complete. And it's, we never published it. We, we have the data, it's, it, was, it was really illuminating, but it was that survey that the archdiocese used to hire the director of Hispanic ministries at that time. So we got to see that, I got to see that whole process. And the justification. And that was 2008, you said? 2008, 2009, because Javier Orozco became, was the person that they hired. Uh, the okay. Office of Hispanic Ministry has expanded. The number of Spanish masses has grown during that time in churches. And so that, that was really our first effort to try to create something larger in terms of what are we doing as a university to interface with the community? Right. What, are, what are the resources? And it was a pretty, I mean, we did a report for each of these parishes. And so this is what you need to do. Because they were, the archdiocese, they were not meeting the needs, the sacramental needs of this community. Offering a mass is one thing, but right. for these Hispanic, a lot of the Mexican immigrants, they, they wanted confession. And so they, they couldn't, a lot of people couldn't understand why they're not going to communion. And like, well, they're not going to communion because they want, they want confession right. and you don't have the priests to hear confession. And so I think this was, uh, this was a theme that came out in the surveys, theme of uh, matrimony preparation, the, the role of quinceañeras among the family and, and why the church plays a central role in that celebration. I think that this was illuminating for the archdiocese. And I think we have a need here. And I think they were very grateful to the Jesuits for providing a lot of this need because they really didn't have that many priests at that time. So, yeah, because some of the Jesuits then took on pastorships in parishes that had a larger population, yeah? Right, Father, I don't know if you know Father Ricardo. He is a very important person in the Hispanic community and he's, he's seen mm -hmm. as one of the more important priests, the voice is there, even though he's part of this, the Jesuit community. I think he's still in Jesuit Hall so that started to a larger movement of uh, what we should be doing as a university to meet the needs of this community. Not just, a, not just the Catholic Hispanic community, but just a larger community in general that, that needs resources. So how have you seen that develop over the past 10, 15 years? So what, what has happened, and I can, only, I can only speak from my personal experience, 
is that because I'm, I'm a demographer and I have access to information and information is power, I get emails at least once, maybe twice a month if I can provide information for grants, information on what's going on uh, economically in certain communities. I'm getting emails pretty constantly right now because of COVID. Like, can you tell us where the immigrants are living? We have some supplies to give them for uh, masks and things like that. And so I'm, pro I'm providing these resources of information so they can make empirical-based decisions. And so they kind of know like there's an immigrant community here that's in need. Let's work with those organizations that are there. Right. So this is what we're doing now is we're trying to connect the information that we have, the data that I can act, can access to, to those who cannot do it. And what, what emerged, so we started this, it actually came out of this arch, this partnership with the archdiocese. So we were asked to do a hackathon because they knew we did the survey and uh -huh. this very powerful information. And then what emerged was, could we do a hackathon for a larger community so the community can understand the needs that are going on? What's a hackathon? So a hackathon is you bring together community members and you work on data and you make okay. maps and tables. And so we decided to do this with the city of St. Louis, a nonprofit in St. Louis, actually St. Louis County, but we said we would do something for four hours and we'll open, we'll open up our, our computer lab to the community. They can come on campus. We actually paid the parking. There was no cost to anybody. And then we showed them how to access data from the internet, how to make maps. And we, we actually had a software package and said, come and download all the data that you can download that you think you would need for free. And then they were able to make maps of the neighborhoods of Hispanics, of people in poverty, of crime. What happened was this became a request that we would do almost every year. And every year we had a different theme. One theme was on immigration. One theme was on racial segregation. One theme was on crime. And we, we open up our computer lab and we invite the community to come in and to download the data that they need. And literally, we, didn't, we had one scheduled for this year, but it got canceled because of COVID because it was supposed to happen in late March. But you would have community members come in with hard drives and they would just download as much data as they can download for free. And then they would take it back to their organization and then like going on. And then, you know, word of mouth just got out to say, you know, this is what SLU's doing. You, sh you need to connect with these people because they're mission driven. So we're doing this work, quite a bit of work. It, it keeps expanding in terms of the different people. So we're starting to work with children now mm -hmm. with uh, computer programming. We have a couple grants out to see if we can get this funded. We had a geospatial camp that got canceled because of COVID. But now we're starting to, to broaden our outreach more in terms of what can SLU do to provide some resources to those individuals who don't have access to this type of opportunity. And we had received lots of grants to bring students on campus. And we did this, it started in 2011-12, where we were able to bring students on campus to get a feel of what it would like to be a college student. And this was actually modeled after Notre Dame. I think a lot of what we're doing is not new. It's just, it's from my experience, like being at Notre Dame. Because again, when I was in Chicago, I saw what Notre Dame was doing. Uh, and I was at Northwestern and we were trying to recruit the same students that Notre Dame was recruiting. I, I never understood why the Mexican families were choosing Notre Dame over Northwestern. 
because the packages were roughly the same until I actually went to the neighborhood because Notre Dame actually put a satellite campus in their neighborhood. Then Notre Dame was bringing the students on campus over the summer. And so the families said, Notre Dame treated us as a family. I always, so I went to Notre Dame one summer and actually saw this and to try to get some experience of what Notre Dame was doing. Because I think Notre Dame, I have to look at the numbers, but they're fairly close to being a Hispanic serving institution. For they, they have seen that, that this is the important part of their student body population is a growing Hispanic population because it's, it's largely Catholic, right? And I kind of told people, it's still like, you know, we're missing the boat here. That if, if you're not going to recruit Hispanic Catholics, which is the, one of the largest growing population, you're going to let other institutions like Notre Dame define and take over that field. And so that's, that's been part of my motivation. And um, I've been trying to replicate what Notre Dame has been doing because they're really right. successful. And so we started doing these camps that Notre Dame was doing to bring the students on campus. So we started doing that. I can tell you that the parents, so we invite the parents to come with the students. And what, what we did the first year is the students were in the computer lab and then the parents went on, they went on a tour on campus. And then at that time they had an afternoon mass. Uh, so for them, this was like very important because they understood that we saw them as a family member and not just trying to re recruit them. They saw us as a partner. I think in the, it signaled a lot of things in the community that there are some things that are changing at SLU, at least in, among the Hispanic community, that was different. But now we, we, the workshops are larger, targeted more geographically to North mm -hmm. City, North St. Louis, mm -hmm. working with the African-American population and bringing them on campus. I think what's happened is through word of mouth, a lot of the private Catholic high schools have reached out. The SMET being one of them. And I think it has to do with of trying to also have their students exposed to what we're trying to do largely is bring them on campus, show them what academic life is like, what academic research is like. And again, COVID kind of changed everything this year, but for the past couple of years, um, these high school students wanted to work in our labs. They were so committed to the mission that we were doing, yeah. providing information to these nonprofit organizations, creating maps, and they're like, this is what I want my senior capstone to be about. I want to go and I want to give this information back to those who need it. And so they would come to campus and put in 40 hours of work as their service learning project. That's for amazing. For neighborhood organizations. So. so it sounds to me like it's very purposeful community building is what you're doing, providing information or allowing for information to create a larger sense of community. To the I say it's field. about empowerment. I think for me, I talk a lot about this. My role is to empower people to make decisions for themselves. And it's, that's, it's actually this idea of subsidiarity, right? Those who are most impacted by the decision should be making that decision, coming from this Catholic idea of subsidiarity, right? And so my goal is to, to give the information to those people who, who should be making the decision. And sometimes it can be in conflict with other people because all of a sudden, if there, there are people at the table who have better information, a more powerful information than the decision makers. And they're like, where did you get that from? And they're like, oh, professor from St. Louis gave it to us. <laughs> right? right. Um, and so I've had- Little subversive there. Yeah. Uh, and I've had a couple, you know, tense moments, to be honest with you, of like, maybe I shouldn't be giving as much information to the community as I'm giving because I'm putting a light on some things that 
have been going on for quite many years that I think people just wanted to ignore that were happening. But my role is like bring them on campus. The data is here. Is just teaching people how to use it. And then I believe it's my mission to give something to the community. And so they, they cannot afford to buy this data. For one, if once a year we can do these hackathons and they can access it for free, they love it. And so we have a new project now. It's called uh, Demography for Democracy. And the idea is, and this was actually pre-COVID, it was actually to put it all online for free. And so they don't have to even have to come to campus anymore to do it. And so we started this project and it, it started it started in January because I was getting so many requests. I'm like, I'm just going to throw it online because it's such a common request. So people really enjoyed it. They're like, oh, this is great. This is what we want. This is what we want to see. That's amazing. Yeah. So we got... I want to go back to something you said, um, you know, making, feeling a little uncomfortable when you shine a light on places that folks would rather keep in the dark. Yeah. You know, it, there's such a difference between creating a reality and exposing a reality. Yeah. <laughs> you're not creating anything. You're just kind of exposing what's there. And if it makes people uncomfortable or uh, embarrassed or whatever, that's part of the process, right? I think, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it, my goal is about empowering people. And ultimately, it's the people that have to make the decision of what to do with that information. Right. I don't live in those neighborhoods. I have a different reality, but uh, if I can give information to those residents and saying, this sure. is what's happening in your neighborhood, whether you know it or not, here's the information. And now, now that you have the information, you can go to city hall and you can demand accountability. Exactly. And I was thinking more of the powers that be and the authority structures not necessarily wanting light shown on yeah. some of the realities that are being exposed. Yeah. And so, um, so that's, that's how we started. I mean, that's what we're doing now. Like I said, it's grown a lot bigger because we're not just focused. It started out with the Hispanic Catholic community, but it's grown to be about the St. Louis community in general, whether that's the students are John Burroughs or the Smith whether they're in North City or North County, it's a much larger reach now. And we're, we're working with a lot of different organizations. We still work with the archdiocese, the people there that they still, but our reach now is we're working with the Mosaic Project, the International Institute. So the, the, the reach is now much broader than just the archdiocese, it's, even though that was the, um, the birthplace of where this mm -hmm. all kind of started with. But now it's like, what can SNU do? What can we do with all these different organizations? So if people want to be more involved or want more information, can they contact you? Is there a Absolutely. place they can- So what we do is there's lots of opportunities. We're working with many different groups now. For K through 12, we're working with Gateway GIS, the International Institute, the Mosaic Project. Pathways to Progress is part of um, the St. Francis community service. So I just, if they contact me, I can help make the connections to these different organizations that are truly trying to meet the needs of, of a larger community out there. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ness, for this information. It is, it's so good to hear how SLU is interfacing with all of the community that lives right in our own neighborhood and, and understanding what the connection is and how we can be both of service and better informed about the realities. So thank okay. you. Great. Good to see you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right.
And to all of you listening, thanks for tuning in. And until next time, keep your eyes and ears open for all the places where the SLU mission is alive and well, but sometimes hidden in plain sight. So for Mission Matters, we're signing off and we wish all of you and your loved ones a safe and blessed summer. Take care and God bless. Amen.